going red in a minute. Morning, Mark, and how are you? Good morning, Philip. I'm very well, thanks. How are you? Good, mate. Good. Okay, really excited to have you along and to have you uh, presenting at the uh, the conference. Um, just for uh, our viewers, so uh, I'm speaking to Mark Darling. Uh, Mark is a psychologist. He's a neurofeed practitioner, and he's also the uh, Asia Pacific manager of the Brain Trainer International. Um, and uh, Mark's um, going to be talking a lot about neurofeedback. So just for our our, uh, our members, could you just quickly, can you give us just a brief understanding of, of neurofeedback? What is that, mate? Sure, that's a small question. Um, neurofeedback is uh, basically a means of using um, computer technology to train the brain to function more appropriately, probably the best way to put it. So in, in essence, it's operant conditioning of the of the EEG. So we all, our brains all produce brainwave activity and it's all about not just measuring that activity, but actually providing um, a client feedback in real time while it's occurring, visual or auditory feedback, or, or, or usually a combination of both. So it's it's a it's a means of um, kind of like doing a workout for the brain and training it to function uh, more appropriately. Okay, mate. Nicely. Um, you've been doing this for. Uh... For 23 years, I mean, uh, that's a long time. What what, what are the, the latest innovations in your feedback do you think that uh, are going to make this exciting for uh, you know, for our members to be uh, having a look at? Some of the things that I'll be talking about um, on the day of the masterclass will be looking at uh, means, like we've got ways of training brainwave activity, and initially that was just train, training the brain in one location at at a time, but now we've got capacity to do multiple channels. So training the brain at various areas um, in, in the one location, that's electrical activity. I'll also be looking at HEG, which stands for hemoencephalography. And that's a means of, it's like a headband, which measures blood flow and therefore oxygen oxygenation in the prefrontal cortex of the brain. So our, our executive centers, and it uses the same type of software as the neurofeedback. So it actually rewards the brain for increasing um, blood flow to the prefrontal cortex. And obviously that improves all those problems that people have with executive function, uh, you know, particularly kids with autism or they've got ADHD where they lack uh, the ability to, uh, with working memory, uh, impulse control, emotional regulation, number of you know other issues attention concentration so uh we'll, we'll look at that and one of the other things i'll be looking at is um uh, a means of measuring the eeg and kind of providing a brain map so that's a, a process called quantitative eeg and i'll be looking at one of those um live um, on the day and really it provides maps to show what's going on in various areas of the brain that rather than just going in blind when we do our neurofeedback, it, it, it enables us to um, get a, an understanding of what's happening in the brain so we know where to train, what to train, and um, it just can make a whole, it a whole lot more effective. Okay. What I found uh, interesting looking at uh, some of the work you've been doing, and I, and I will just, uh, I mean, you won the... Uh, the uh, 2004 Showcase Award for Excellence and Innovation. Uh, you won the 2005 Commonwealth Award for Outstanding uh, National Achievement. So, I mean, there's obviously uh, 
you know, this uh, this type of work is is has been very well acknowledged. Some of the work though I've noticed though, you're not just working with the normal clients that we get, but you also um, look at carers and you know people who are looking after um, people with um, you know challenges. Uh, absolutely. I mean, really, the bottom line with neurofeedback, we often think of it in terms terms of uh, someone's got a problem with their brain. You know, you you might say it's broken in some way, and we want to fix it, but really. Everyone has a brain, so any everyone can benefit. And you know, the role of a carer is one that's close to my heart. When you, because I've had a, a, a son who's you know quite severely disabled, and really he's the reason I got into uh, neurofeedback in the first place. That desperate search that you do as a parent to try and find the most appropriate means of helping helping your child. You know, um, so I got into that, but I know that you know you you are training someone who does not exist in a vacuum, you know. So if you are impacting one area of a, of a system, in this case a family, then you will in, you will naturally have to impact other areas. And the carers, are, you know, are just vital. If you're not functioning as a carer, I mean, we know when you're in the caring role, it can wear you down, it can burn you out. And um, neurofeedback is helpful for a number of things like improving the way our sleep-wake cycle regulates. That's a very well-known uh, area of impact. Stress, anxiety, depression, trauma, these are all areas that are very well researched in the field of neurofeedback. So yeah, I'm very keen not just to help the person who we might see as as the person with the problem, but actually the whole system and, and, and particularly I've got a heart for those carers, as you've said. Yeah. So great. So I mean, it, it's a very, very broad um, uh, technology to work with. What, what's it? Can you give us a bit of um, information? What's the history of neurofeedback? How far back does this go? Uh, look, it's a fascinating thing. I mean, the EEG was first measured in the 1920s by Hans Berger, but neurofeedback itself probably started kicking off in the late 50s and particularly the 1960s. And um, it's a uh, in my view, just the most fascinating story because um, the, what occurred was that there was a sleep re researcher at UCLA, a guy by the name of Barry Sturman, uh, a psychologist, and he was doing experiments with cats and recognising that measuring the EEG of cats, he noticed that when they were completely still, physically calm and relaxed, but still attentive, they had an increase in a particular rhythm in the brain that he dubbed the sensory motor rhythm. Um, he thought, I wonder if I can make them do that more often. So he set up a reward process that every time this group of cats in, in, who had EEG measuring apparatus on their heads, every time they increased the amount of that SMR activity, um, they got a little reward, like it was a squirt of a mixture of milk and chicken broth. And um, over a period of time, he realised that through that operant conditioning process of, of rewarding a particular state, they started producing that brainwave activity more often, larger amplitudes of it. Um, would have remained perhaps um, just a novel experiment, except then, you know, we're talking about the 60s, it's the space race with the USSR. There are some astronauts who are having some rather unusual experiences. For example, when they were in the Mercury program circling the Earth, believing that they could see um, natives in the South Pacific waving to them. Um, so they were having hallucinations, they were having seizures, 
some some even died and so Barry was approached to research this and he took some of these lab cats um, in the university and exposed them to this, to this substance. It was that they thought it was the rocket fuel, a product called monomethylhydrazine. So they were, cats were exposed to that. And um, he expecting to establish a baseline, there were a group of 10 cats out of 50 who either did not have a seizure at all or took at least two times as long before they had a seizure. He couldn't figure out why until he went back through his research and realised that every one of those cats that was resistant to epilepsy had actually done the earlier EEG training with the milk and chicken broth. So it was like an accidental discovery. Yeah. You know, one of these things that science is famous for that this might make the brain more robust. And, and that led to a flurry of research across the remainder of the century through the 2000. And um, uh, there was a meta-analysis done in 2000 and on average, Neurofeedback's known to, through all those studies to reduce seizure activity in 82% of patients and reduce it by, on average by 70%. So I, for example, uh, in my work with um, children with epilepsy, uh, sorry, autism who also have epilepsy, I've seen them stop having seizures completely. So it's it started right back there. Accidental discovery, and then it goes epilepsy, ADD, ADHD, and then just sort of spread to a number of other areas and one might think well how's this possible but I mean we all have a brain and the brain is involved in absolutely everything we do it's key so if we can teach it encourage it coax it to perform more appropriate appropriately to be more resilient then there you know there are a number of areas where we can see improvements yeah absolutely fascinating and amazing it all came from a from an accident and, uh, yeah. and and moved on from there. So I think uh, probably one of the, the questions maybe a lot of our, our members are possibly asking themselves, um, this is very complex type work um, and um, possibly uh, we might have members um, asking themselves, well, um, you know, would I be qualified? Do I have enough knowledge? Do I have enough skills to work in this area? Um, so yeah, how would you respond to that? Look, there's definitely a learning curve involved, but if it's something you're interested in, we've all got to start somewhere. So in, in my, like my initial training was 1999, clunky old fashioned computers, uh, DOS based system. And it was, the important thing I think is to be part of a community who are doing this. So we had um, e email listservs, globally. So I, some of the leaders in this field I was interacting with on a daily basis. It, it, it's, um, you know, a knowledge of the brain and how it functions is helpful. But in many ways, this is new information. I, I specialised at university in the whole cognitive neuroscience area, and I never heard of this, you know. So it was like a new beginning. Um, I These days with Brain Trainer International, I do conduct uh, training. I, I mentor people uh, globally, um, practitioners from other countries, people brand new, just starting out, and we and it works just fine with online mentoring. My favourite thing is to do small group training, and that's um, you know that's we've got, we're, I'm doing another training, for example, in about three weeks' time, and that's always um, a, a joy to me to assist people. They form connections with one another. We we become a community and. Um, that we, we learn together.
Yeah. So this is well within the capacity of, um, of most councillors to be able to learn how to use the technology, learn the theory, uh, and then apply it with uh, clients. And I think it's, it's, it's interesting. It's really good, actually, to hear that you can apply this through telehealth. Um, yep. It doesn't necessarily have to be face to face. So this really adds a, a fantastic new tool mm. um, to the uh, to the council's toolbox. Not only that, um, I can see this as certainly adding to a completely uh, new uh, marketplace that that uh, councils can target. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, particularly in our counselling, we often we know those clients who, um, for whatever reason, are just stuck. And I often think of people with trauma because. It's not just a matter of changing thought patterns. It's, you know, it's in the subcortical structures of the brain. It's in the body. It's, it, we're holding that trauma within us. If there's a way of dealing with that without a talking process, getting us out of those stuck places, it, it helps us tremendously with our counselling work, I think. Yeah, and if you can do both, it's even better. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, Mark, well, this has been very, very fascinating. And I think that uh, certainly there is a significant opportunity for councillors who want to get involved in this area to uh, to come into a new area. Um, I, uh, I gather there, obviously, there are, there is equipment involved and, and uh, you, uh, you you teach how to use that, that uh, equipment and it's not overly um, complex. And you'll be bringing some down for the workshop anyway, for the masterclass. And so members yeah. uh, can get the hands on and they can actually see the equipment that, got, uh, that needs to be used how it's used, um, and it's not frightening. No, 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 we'll, we'll have a demonstration. One of the great things with advances in technology is that you, I mean, I love knowing all the background information, but it will do a lot, of, it'll automate a lot of the stuff for you anyway. Yeah, okay, great. Um, so I think that, uh, you know, um, I think it's a very good reason why uh, any counsellor out there, particularly those in private practice, should be very interested in uh, coming to this uh, masterclass. I think there's a significant amount to, to be learnt. And I'm very much looking forward to uh, seeing you uh, in Sydney, Mark. Thank you very much. You're most welcome, Philip. Looking forward to seeing you too. Thank you, mate. Uh, Bye.